0: I was working closely on the Greenworks franchise. And so I learned a lot about the Lohas consumer and how the next generation were being mindful about the products that they used. I learned about green chemistry, sustainable packaging, how to formulate non-toxic products. And it really changed my mindset on what was possible in the category. And of course, at that point in time, you know, you couldn't dodge the the founder story that was having at, at Method. So Eric and Adam, you know, had a startup, they're making products that look cool, they were counterworthy and just were really disrupting, disrupting the industry.
1: This is Evolve CPG, a community of purpose-driven brand leaders who not only believe in better, but actively pursue it. That's better products, better brands and better leadership for a better world. I'm your host, Gage Mitchell founder and creative director of Modern Species, a sustainable brand design agency helping better brands grow and scale their impact. On today's episode, we're speaking with Ryan Williams, operating partner of Next World Evergreen, about how brands and investors are taking sustainability seriously, even when some experiments fail.
0: Hey, I'm Ryan Williams. I'm an operating partner with Next World Evergreen,
1: Thanks for joining me, Ryan. I'm excited to chat with you because I I just love when money gets used for doing good things in the world. But I think what's also interesting about your background is that you have a background in science with environmental toxicology. So real quick, can you tell us a little bit more about what drew you into toxicology and kind of how that applied to your career?
0: Absolutely. First of all, thanks for having me. I think you're building a great community and we really appreciate the opportunity to talk a little bit more about what we're doing at Nextworld. I got into toxicology, quite frankly, accidentally. I always had an aptitude for sciences, and I studied chemistry in college. When I finished my undergraduate degree, there weren't a lot of jobs or people that looked like me that I wanted to go work with. So I set out on a journey and got into graduate school at uh, University of California at Riverside. And I was really lucky to have an amazing journey there. My first quarter was a little bit bumpy. I'm not going to hide that. But by my second quarter... I was able to join a lab that focused on human exposure to pesticide use, primarily in agriculture environments. So what our lab did specifically was we applied chemistry to human health effects and what those projects looked like were monitoring primarily migrant farm workers as they were harvesting agricultural products like strawberries, cherries, and things of that nature.
1: Wow. That's important work. I feel like... (laughs) Did that those studies get published in lots of places? Like, is there somewhere where we can point people to see some of that?
0: Sure, I'm not sure anyone would want to. Um, <laughs> it's uh, mostly technical scientific literature that's so been it's been published. Gotcha.
1: Okay, and then I know that after school you ended up sometime thereafter at, at Clorox, and I'd be curious to know what a environmental toxicologist does at a company like Clorox.
0: Yeah, for sure. So. Let me talk a little bit about the transition. It was, you know, very opportunistic. The, um, US EPA had changed the way that they were regulating antimicrobials and disinfectants in the home. And so there was a law passed in 1997, which shifted that paradigm. And they had to start regulating those products more like agricultural products. So as I said, I have the history, you know, and the human exposure to agricultural chemical use and then household brands like, Lysol and Clorox and you know some of the Procter and Gamble brands and the SC Johnson brands needed to start generating data to comply with the new regulations. And that really opened up the opportunity for me uh, to kind of translate the work I'd done in the ag environment into the household environment. And Clorox was a great place to start my career. For those not intimately familiar, it's a house of brands. Typically, brands are you know number one or two in their category and big, big household categories beyond cleaning. When I joined the company, I started working on the Armorall and STP automotive brands, which oh, are wow. no longer a part of that portfolio, yeah. and also charcoal Kingsford and Matchlight are a part of that portfolio. So I learned kind of this journeyman toxicology role throughout the portfolio, and really, really learned a lot about how science and technical information was used, you know, for regulatory purposes, whether it was, you know, the California Air Resources Board, the US EPA, antimicrobial pesticide regulations, um, VOCs, Prop 65, a number of things. And As a journeyman toxicologist, you know, I got to work on the the brands that I mentioned, but then quickly moved into food products. Mm. Hidden Valley Ranch and Casey Masterpiece are owned by Clorox. Um, Gladware, um, the GLAD franchise is owned by Clorox. So food contact issues I learned a lot about. Brita water filtration. uh, So we worked a lot with third-party certifiers like the NSF. And then the suite of household cleaning products, um, brands like Soft Scrub and Pine Sol, in addition to the Clorox franchise, were under that banner. So, it's really an amazing opportunity to kind of learn, you know, how to become a a consumer products toxicologist.
1: Yeah, no kidding. Across all those different brands with a lot of diversity in that portfolio too, that must have just been an amazing learning experience. Just out of curiosity, were you working on multiple brands at once and had multiple projects going or was it just kind of like one after the other? You're like, okay, I've got... Come in here, I've got something to do. I, I bang that out and then I move on to the next brand.
0: Yeah. So I was really lucky, you know, as a generalist that I was able to work on a number of different brands and it was fun. I could work on, you know, food products on one day and then I could work on, you know, other other products like cat litter, for instance, you know, on another day. So I really enjoyed, you know, getting to learn those businesses and kind of support them through their product safety and regulatory needs. And it really kind of... It was an accelerated point in my career where I learned a lot very quickly. Nice.
1: That's cool. Yeah, that's one of my favorite things about running a design agency is getting to work on multiple brands and it just keeps you kind of engaged like from one challenge to another, but then lessons you learn in one brand, you can kind of apply it to another in some way. So it's uh, super powerful.
0: And that's where I really fell in love with brands. You know, I spent my whole career up to that point as a scientist. And, you know, as you'd asked, publishing papers that go into technical journals. And when you go home to tell your mom and dad about, you know, what you've done, <laughs> you know, it's really great to point to a brand, you know, that they interact with as well. And, you know, be the person that helps make armor all safe, you know, or ensures that, you know, bleach complies with, with the uh, disinfectant regulations. So it was super fun for me, you know, at that point in time. And it really kind of connected me personally to the work that I was doing in society and, you know, from that point forward, I can't ever imagine not working on uh, consumer brands.
1: Yeah, it does make it so much more concrete when not only you can like walk into a store and just stumble upon a brand that you've helped out in some way, but your friends, family now have, have a real good idea of what you do instead of just some ethereal. Oh, I worked on this new interaction on an app that you probably have used once or something like it's literally a product on the shelf that you see all the time. That's cool. So, I know that after Clorox, you went into Method. And, you know, obviously, it's a somewhat different kind of organization. I think a lot fewer brands (laughs) under Method. But uh, I was super curious to see in your LinkedIn profile, you had Good Cop and Global Greenskeeper (laughs) some of your titles there, (laughs) which is hilarious. So, I'd love to hear more about your role at um, Method.
0: Sure. I mean, even kind of the transition from Clorox to Method, you know, at that point in time, I was working closely on the Greenworks franchise. And so I learned a lot about the Lohas consumer and how the next generation were being mindful about the products that they used. I learned about green chemistry, sustainable packaging, how to formulate non-toxic products. And it really changed my mindset on what was possible in the category. And of course, at that point in time, you know, you couldn't dodge the the founder story that was happening at, at method so eric and adam you know had a startup they're making products that look cool they were counterworthy, and just were really disrupting disrupting the industry i was fortunate enough to be introduced to to adam through a former colleague method was actually having a, a regulatory issue at the time so i kind of informally met with them to you know give a little bit of guidance and next thing that happened was uh, we had a few beers and I had a job offer. (laughs) That's the best way to do it. (laughs) So you had asked specifically about some of my job titles, like good cop and and global greenskeeper. I mean, it's, you know, method is uh, a culture first mission driven brand with a strong purpose. And I think the mindset was that while we took our products and our work very seriously, we didn't take ourselves very seriously. So we had the latitude to have, you know, really fun, thought provoking, job titles, such as Good Cop and uh, Global Greenskeeper. We had, you know, the head of sales while I was there, his job title was Chief Optimist. Oh, nice. People in AR had job titles like Show Me the Money. <laughs> That's great. One of my favorite ones that I can actually take a little bit of credit for was uh, someone in HR had the job title of Friend with Benefits. <laughs> so, we were just really tongue-in-cheek and lighthearted and, you know... Kind of joking aside, it was really an advantage for the brand to kind of show up with a personality and be a little bit different. We've already talked about how dry science can be, what that crowd (laughs) is like. But when I got to interact with you know consultants and thought leaders in the space, and I got to introduce myself as Good Cop, it gave us something to talk about, and it let us turn up a lot different than their other clients who were scientists too, or senior t- scientists or research associate, you know, so it really enabled us to have, you know, more personal and fun conversations and quite frankly, be the client that people would want to work with because we had a little bit of a sense of humor and we like to have a little bit of fun. And again, while we took our products and our work very seriously, we always were able to take a step back and, you know, have a little fun with ourselves.
1: I love it. It's a more holistic approach to brand cuz brand isn't just like your visual presence on your package. It goes down to, all the way down to your titles and how you introduce
0: yourself. So that's cool. Yeah. Love it. I think it it really, you know, strikes the core of that brand with, you know, design and marketing. You're know, being very disruptive and very innovative and, you know, nothing says that you're, you know, innovative and, and disruptive when you get to go to major retailers and introduce yourself a little bit differently as a head of sales, as a head of marketing, as a CEO, you know, and the founders, you can, you can read about their job titles, Eric and Adam, the party starters. That's cool. (laughs) Yeah. I've
1: been exploring the idea of chief evolution officer for this involved CPG community and and podcast. So same mindset there. At Method, I know Method is known for doing some pretty ambitious sustainability stuff too. Do you have any fun case studies you can share with us about like what really worked or what didn't work?
0: Yeah, we had a lot of successes, but we had some pretty spectacular failures, you know, along, along the way. And I think, you know, the case study that kind of comes to my mind, uh, you know, one of the seminal projects was launching the world's first ocean plastic yeah, product. I remember those. And that was a, a project that was, you know, inspired by, you know, Adam Lowry when he was you know in Hawaii, and was spending a lot of time at the beach, and you notice all these pieces of plastic. so you started networking in the community, we met a bunch of the local nonprofits and you know some of the environmentalists in the area, and just had this crazy thought, if this plastic is here, why can't we just take it back and make a usable product out of it And so you know a lot of people think about that as a sustainability project, but I think we really approach it as radical innovation. You know, we were leaders in in PCR, post-consumer recycled material, and we thought, wow, if we can collect the gnarliest plastic that's oxidized and weathered and brittle, and we can bring that into our supply chain and leverage the expertise of our partners to regrind and pelletize and extrude that material and then blow mold it into a usable bottle, I can't think of, you know, another way to demonstrate such radical capability and innovation in the plastic space. And that's what we were able to accomplish. You know, you'd ask about successes and failures. Unfortunately, you know, that product did not get the traction, you know, at shelf. So while it was disruptive, it was supported uh, strongly at shelf by the retail partner, Whole Foods, who we launched the the product in partnership with, um, consumers were just not buying it. There were, you know, a few issues with the product proposition that we're just not able to work through, and ultimately the market viability of that product went away.
1: Was there any research done on as to why that didn't get adopted by consumers? Was it? I can't remember if it was at a higher price point. Was it the because it was? I think it was a gray bottle, right, instead of some of the clear bottles. Like, what was there some sort of insight that drove, um, or at least helped explain why it didn't take off?
0: Yeah, there were a number of factors. I think. What you described, there's obviously an aesthetic thesis or hypothesis uh, that people, you know, new method is vibrant and clear, colorful bottles. And here was something that was uh, kind of gray and matte. So it didn't really correlate to the brand at the time. Ironically, that's a very strong aesthetic with the brand, kind of the matte or contemporary finishes and colors. The second one was the price point that you talked about due to the the product and the pricing needs at retail. It um, was priced a little bit higher than its peers. The third reason is possibly where it was shelved. You know, Method was a strong cleaning brand, and that product was put into the cleaning set. So consumers that were walking into Whole Foods to buy a hand wash maybe wouldn't go explore the cleaning product space uh, to find that product. So I think all of those things kind of played into, you know, the product not doing as as well as it needed to do at shelf. You know, a bit of a case study in failure.
1: Yeah, not quite as clear cut as I think it was Sun Chips that launched that compostable bag that everyone complained about being too noisy <laughs> because they can sneak their bag of chips at work or something like that <laughs> because it was just so crunchy and noisy. But uh, but it's interesting to study those. Another one of my favorite examples is Seventh Generation launched that molded pulp with the plastic liner detergent packaging. and. Really cool, awesome innovation, et cetera, less plastic, molded kind of introduces functionality of molded pulp. But when I talked to um, material recovery facilities, when I was going on a tour with the Sustainable Packaging Coalition, I asked them about that package, and they said, you know, we love the idea, but the problem is consumers weren't disassembling it. So we would get it with the cap on, with the bladder inside, with the molded pulp on the outside, and we had to just pull those off the line and throw them in the landfill so it's just one of those things it's like cool idea but consumers screwed it up because probably they weren't informed enough about what they need to do with it or maybe they weren't motivated enough to take it apart or whatever but it's just sometimes those one little thing that can destroy such an innovative product that's rough okay so do you have any fun wins or anything you can share as well
0: geez i think you know in the spirit of hey how does a how does a scientist, or how does somebody technical, you know, support the business and enable the business strategy? There are a number of wins. You know, going back to our job titles, you know, Method just had a different place in the uh, marketplace, and we turned up differently, you know, with retailers, whether they were large mass retailers that were able to build relationships beyond, you know, sales and marketing to really support the business and tell our story. I'd say one of the one of the products I'm most proud of is you know re-earning our business at Whole Foods, and that was one where you know, Whole Foods had kind of gone from a regional model, and the buyer was consolidating the cleaning set on a national level. So there was a core team, you know, that involved sales, myself, you know, R and D, and our creative group to really provide some innovative solutions to meet the Whole Foods standard. So, real specifically, you know, Whole Foods has a prohibition on dyes in the cleaning category. And our brand was all about being vibrant and colorful, and we dyed the liquid. That was for sustainability purposes. It's much more sustainable to buy the liquid to, or to dye the liquid than it is to dye a package. Number one, if you dye clear PET, it's not reusable at the end of life and not collectible. So, we Partnered, told that story, um, brought the scientific you know validation to Whole Foods, and ultimately arrived at a solution where we we're able to put a colorful shrink wrap around the bottle that was also you know recyclable and allowed the bottle to be collected at end of life. So we were able to meet our principles. We were able to comply with the standard. Um, we did you know add some materiality to the product that we didn't like, but it was enough to get the business and stay in that set and maintain the national distribution. I'd say of all the projects I worked on, you know, that was one where method really showed up um, from a cross-functional and a collaborative standpoint.
1: That's cool. I, I do love collaboration and uh, obstacles, I feel like, often push you into a more creative space and you have to come up with a new idea rather than just go in with the default. So that's a fun case study.
0: One thing I'd like to add to that, that also may be helpful for people, is that Whole Foods really showed up for us in that conversation and they were really clear about their expectations and what they needed to see for us to keep our business, you know, with them and ultimately be selected for their national product set. So I think, you know, collaboration goes both ways and it was really great to partner with them because they were easy to partner with. And maybe we didn't like their decisions and maybe we didn't like or agree with some of the mandates that our buyers were given, but they were completely transparent and open about it.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's really cool when um, when it's not just a no and there's no negotiating kind of answer, but it's like a no, but let's chat. That's yeah, that's a great relationship to keep.
0: Yeah, and I would say that they adopted a no because, and you know, they would you know, we can't do that, and here's why: I can't allow you to use dyes when there's a prohibition across the store.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so then, awesome brand experience at Method, Clorox, et cetera. But then, fast forward to now, you're at an equity firm, Next World Evergreen. So, tell us a little bit about how that transition came to be.
0: Yeah, so you know, Next World Evergreen is a very different investment firm. Uh, we have a committed source of capital for a hundred-year time frame, and that enables us to have a longer-term view around our investments and how we deploy capital. In this particular case, I think our partners, you know, and our LP really understand kind of the resilience and the benefits of brands that incorporate, you know, ESG and sustainability into their business strategy. With our longer term time horizon, it demands that we look at things like social impact, climate change, um, when we're trying to evaluate investments.
1: So for Next World Evergreen, and I know it's part of a family of of Next World, and then I, I forget the name of a another uh, entity that you're involved with. But for Next World Evergreen, what makes a good investment for you? Like what what specifically are you looking for in your brands?
0: Yeah, so you know we have a mandate to invest in brands at a certain scale. So first of all, we look for brands that are you know in that ten to one hundred million dollar range. We also really believe in omni-channel brands. That probably sounds silly coming out on the other side of COVID, Um, but Omni channel for us can be, you know, brick and mortar retail, direct to consumer, food service, you know, other channels that kind of diversify the customer base for a brand. We also look at, you know, we look at conscious consumer brands, um, and we evaluate management that are aligned with our goals and philosophies.
1: Yeah, and I think you know, obviously there are some investors that just throw their money into a brand hoping for a return at the end, but I know y'all are much more involved when you buy some equity in a brand. So how is it that you're helping brands grow? Like what is it the next world brings to the table?
0: Well, as I mentioned, we have a hundred year fund. So our time horizon is not dictated by five to seven year PE cycles. So we can do what's right for the business. We've had exits after a short period of time and we've have brands that will continue to invest in you know, for a longer hold period, because that's what what's right to do for the business. So we kind of alleviate some of the typical time constraints. I think that's a really big advantage that we have compared to some of the other funds in our space. I think another advantage, you know, that we have is our mindset when it comes to founders and CEOs. You know, we understand that ESG and principles around sustainability are critical kind of over the next 10 and and 25 year time period, investing into ESG initiatives um, become strategic business enablers. Look, everyone's racing towards, you know, net zero climate, you know, on time horizon. And we understand the needs of companies at various maturities to start investing in that capability to kind of meet those longer term initiatives.
1: Nice. So speaking of which, with a heavy sustainability background and all this expertise helping brands kind of innovate. Through sustainability, what is your role at next world evergreen? I know it's operating director, but what does that mean and where do, how, how do you bring in your background to help brands
0: so as an operating partner, you know, I wear a lot of hats, but principally you know we've implemented ESG frameworks with all of our majority owned companies, and what that means is that we have a three year strategy we 've got an annual framework that we revisit, and that allows us to really Prioritize, resource, and make progress against the goals that support the company's strategy.
1: Nice. So, an example might be, and you would know more about this than I do, but one of the clients I've had for a long time is Alter Eco through my design agency, Modern Species. But um, I know that after the acquisition with Next World Evergreen, it didn't like a lot of investment companies, all their innovative kind of Give back mission driven regenerative agriculture stuff might have gotten put on hold until certain sales goals were hit or something. But with Next World Evergreen, it felt like all that got ramped up and they ended up launching a foundation soon thereafter. So, is that kind of maybe you can shed a little light on kind of what that relationship was like, what, what your involvement in some of that? I don't know if you were involved in Alter Eco acquisition at all, but the organization's involvement was in kind of helping Alter Eco push their mission forward.
0: The Alter Eco acquisition predates me. So it was already in the portfolio when I joined Nextworld. And it was actually one of the reasons that I wanted to join Nextworld was to be able to work with a brand like Alter Eco, that's an OG natural channel brand, right? They're organic, fair trade from the start. And the brand had made the plastic commitments um, kind of around the same time that I had joined. So it's been nice to partner with that company. And I, you know, work directly with management to kind of validate um you know what they're doing on their side and i think as an investor another important role that i play as an operating partner is educating our next world partners so i get to talk to you know the lead partner on that business about the importance of regenerative agriculture eliminating plastic and the uh, social initiatives that we have at source um you know near the cacao
1: nice that's awesome So for brands out there who are looking to get more equity, but want it to be mission aligned equity, what would be like your, I don't know, top three or five or something tips for brands trying to get to where your family brands are?
0: So I'd say the most important thing for purpose-driven brands to do is make decisions through the lens of the mission. They're going to be the two or three things that are core to your mission. And then you use the focus on those kind of every day. The second thing I would say is that, you know, mission and purpose is not an excuse for financial sustainability. I mean, we're talking about companies. um, We're talking about companies that need to, you know, scale and ultimately at some point achieve profitability. And I would say the single most important thing that a mission-driven brand can do is to achieve profitability, because that opens up you know, so many options you know, for the future. And I would also say at Next World, you know, that's where we view things a little bit differently. We don't view impact and financials to be separate. We like to invest in brands like Alter Eco, where impact and ESG initiatives become strategic imperatives to the growth of the business. Such as organic, such as regenerative, such as a uh, social fairness and, you know, fair wage and, and being fair trade certified is for Altarico. Yeah,
1: that's great. So where the more impact should also equal more sales or more good suppliers or more, you know, whatever you need to, to grow your business, but also growing your business is good because then that gives you more resources to make an impact. <laughs> so they're kind of a nice cycle that feed each other.
0: Hand in hand. Yeah,
1: that's great. Well, amazing. I love uh, tapping into some of your both business brand and sustainability knowledge. So all three of those things are super powerful and things that I'm passionate about. So I appreciate you taking some time out of your busy schedule to come and share some wisdom with the uh, community here. And thanks for doing what you do and keep keep doing it.
0: Thanks so much, Gage. Thanks for having us. And we're excited about the community that you're building and really appreciate the, the opportunity to participate.
1: Awesome. Cheers. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Ryan or his firm, go to nextworldevergreen.com. Business can be a powerful force for good. Is your brand living up to its full potential? Visit evolvecpg.com to learn about our new workshop, Exponentially Good, to scale your impact exponentially. Subscribe to our podcast and YouTube channel for more innovator interviews, expert advice, and leadership discussions. If you like this episode, leave a heart, thumbs up or review and share it with your colleagues as an ever evolving show we also love feedback so send us your thoughts or ideas for who we should talk to next to evolve at modernspecies.com.